Hello, welcome to the Will to Power Hour. That's going to be my solo show here on the Two Tongues Network of Podcasts. Uh, Chris had a solo show the other day, um, and you know these solo shows are just going to be for us to kind of dial in a little bit more fine tune on some issues that uh, you know maybe we're a little bit more personally interested in. Um, so you know. You can honestly expect probably a lot of this, a lot of similar topics, I would say. Uh, I might try to experiment with the format a little bit. We'll see what happens. You know, just got to see where this podcast takes us, this podcast recording deal that I am still very much trying to figure out. Um, so today I kind of want to talk about a YouTuber a YouTuber named Mr. Rhett McLaughlin of Good Mythical Morning fame. Um, you know, most of the time what Rhett and his longtime friend Link do is just kind of goofy, silly, you know, taste tests, snack comparison, you know, games. You know, they do a lot of, a lot of just silly, uh, you know, I want to say mindless stuff, but I don't mean that as an insult, you know. Sometimes you're not always looking for, you know, a four-hour debate. Sometimes you're just looking for something to make you laugh. And I think that Good Mythical Morning is actually pretty good for that. Um, they don't get too philosophical or political, especially on the main shows. Uh, but they have this other pod. Yeah, they have like a podcast that's called Ear Biscuits. Um, and sometimes they will go a little bit more in-depth into things there. Uh, and about a year ago, they put out this series called Our Lost Years, where they kind of detailed a few years of their history that they didn't really talk about a whole lot before then. And to kind of cap those off, they had these two episodes where they both talked about why they no longer considered themselves Christians and why they were no longer a part of, you know, the evangelical church that they were a part of. Um, and, you know, I remember a year ago being kind of interested in it because, you know, as I'm going to get into here, a lot of the points that Rhett makes in that podcast, you know, I have my issues with that podcast, but the factual stuff that he's saying, I don't really are factual. You know, the theories that he's proposing I, you know, I kind of agree with, and I said, well, like I said, we'll get into all of that stuff, but, um, you know, I, I didn't really have much of a problem with it. Uh, my, some people in my family had a little bit more of a problem with it. Some people had become very attached to Retin and Link and, uh, them no longer being Christians really hurt their feelings. So, you know, different things affect different people differently. Um, but, you know, about a year later, they released a, a part two to Rhett's Spiritual Deconstruction, which was the name of that first podcast and the name of the second one as well. Um, and I had more problems with that, that second podcast, and I'm, we're going to get into that too. You know, um, that's kind of the point. So, but, you know, to kind of get into the stuff that Rhett was talking about in the first podcast, he was talking about young earth versus old earth. 
um, which, you know, I completely agree with that. It, it, I'm not a geologist. I'm not a, any kind of a scientist, but it strains credulity in my mind to believe that the earth is only 10,000 years old. That doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, just going off of the data that I have and my limited ability to interpret it, that doesn't seem right. So I don't really blame Rhett for, you know, kind of opting out of the old earth thing. Um, I do think that I am a little bit more skeptical of data and the science than Rhett is. Um, we'll kind of touch back on that later. He really leans on the science a lot throughout this, this whole thing. Well, not the whole thing towards, you know, the, the second half he leans on, on it quite a bit. So he says that he also had problems with evolution. Didn't we all, didn't all of us literalist Christians have a problem with evolution? And that's something that I should mention. I don't, I can't remember if I did or not. I come from a very similar background to Rhett. Um, I was raised in church, you know, my grandma, her, her, her father, my great grandfather was a pastor. So she was raised very religiously. She raised my mother very religiously. Um, I was raised very religiously. Uh, you know, I went to Christian schools. I went to church on Sunday. I went to church on Wednesday. I went to church on a lot of Fridays, uh, and any other time that the community could find to fellowship, you know, we were, we were at church. Uh, I did Bible quizzing. I sang in the choir. I even sang like a special song once by myself. That was very embarrassing. Um, but I was deep in it, you know? Uh, so I kind of, I, I, I see where Rhett's coming from on a lot of this stuff. Um, so, you know, the evolution thing, you know, that's just, that's one of those things where, once you look into it, you know, a lot of Christians have been told that it's evil and that it's fake and they don't even really look into it. And when you look into it, you know, it's a pretty convincing case that evolution is real. You know, Rhett kind of goes into this whole Francis Collins guy and Rhett actually does. If you're interested, he gives a very good breakdown of why evolution is, you know, a valid theory. Um, so, you know, I would recommend going back and listening to these episodes anyways. Um, but just so you can maybe get, you know, more detail into what Red is saying. Uh, he doesn't go into a lot of detail for some of the stuff, but some of the other stuff he does go very much into detail. Um, I'm not really going to go into that much detail, though, because apologetics is not really the point of this. Um, it, it, I, I'm not trying to make a scientific argument for why Christianity is true. Um, that's not interesting to me at all. So the next thing that Rhett, um, the last road, you know, the last hill for Rhett to die on was Jesus. Um, and I think that a lot of Christians get to that place where, you know, Link even kind of mentions this common thing that is, as long as you got Jesus, as long as you accept Jesus, the rest of it is not as important. Um, and, you know, I think that maybe that gave Rhett, like I'm sure it does a lot of Christians who are struggling with their faith, 
Maybe that gave Rhett some kind of comfort for a while, but eventually Rhett came to the point where he did not believe that Jesus was the son of God or was, you know, the ultimate manifestation of God in the world. And, you know, that gets to be where maybe I am separating a little bit um, and kind of hints at my main criticism of this first podcast. Um, I have a lot less criticism of the first podcast than I do the second one. But my main criticism for the first one is Rhett really wrestles with this um, a literalist interpretation of the Bible. Um, you know, that everything in the book happened the way that it was said and it's you know it's a it's a history book it's a you know the most detailed and accurate god-breathed history book you know it's the ultimate history book that basically that's what i'm trying to say here um i do not view the bible that way and there are a lot of people who do not believe the bible that way um you know I think that not viewing the Bible that way is more common in other kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Branches. That's not the word I'm looking for, but it'll do other branches of Christianity are maybe more, more likely to think in those terms. Uh, but this kind of Calvinist reform, um, you know, evangelical church, that's not really the way they think. They, they take it as literal. Um, and I understand, I completely, as I've said throughout this with the, the young earth, with the evolution, with, you know, a lot of the historical discrepancies in the Bible, um, you know, like the fact that there's no record of the Jews ever having been slaves in Egypt, things like that. There's a lot of stuff like that in the Bible. Um, the reason that kind of stuff doesn't really bother me is because I don't, that's, that's not how I interpret the Bible. I don't interpret it all to be literally true. Um, and even within the evangelical community, there are some people who also don't interpret all of it as literally true. I've heard quite a few evangelical Christians, my mother, for one, uh, say this, this little line, in regards to the creation of the world, you know, in the Christian religion, it was created in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Um, their argument for that is one day for God could be a million years to man. And I agree. I think that that is exactly the type of thing that is going on in the Bible for, for a lot of it. Uh, and not just the Bible, a lot of other religious texts, uh, a lot of these other really old cultural and religious texts, I think that there's, you know, some aspect of that going on. Um, what's frustrating about that is why can you take um, a, a metaphorical or a poetic, uh, you know, a non-literal interpretation on that one line, that one line about the days in the creation, and you can slap, you know, a you can slap poetry all over that, but the rest of it, you know, when Cain, you know, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Abraham and his son, um, you know, God calling for Abraham to kill his son. Why can't you 
attach that with the same kind of poetic interpretation. Um, you know, and people like, uh, you know, <laughs> people who get called out on this show all the time, Jordan Peterson, Carl Young, um, a lot of people, a lot of other people too, they can give you a way to believe that the Bible is true without having to believe that it is literally true. Um, the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, they're not history books. They're mythological books which are telling a story. Uh, they're telling us a history that is older than history. And, you know, history is a complicated subject, especially when you start considering, you know, how fragile and temporary evidence is and how, you know, the people on top of any given power structure might have reason to keep certain events out of history books or smearing the intentions of a certain person to make him look bad in the history books or bolstering the historical contributions of men who are, you know, men or people in general that they see as good, that they want, they want the message that he carried to be brought forward into, into the future. So you make a big deal of it in history. Um, you know, you know, eventually we'll do episodes on that, that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, you can only, you can only trust history, academic history so much, um, stories from thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, like, like the stories of ancient Rome, those require some kind of faith, you know, they require some level of faith. And I understand that it's based on more of something than, uh, you know, something that is cut from whole cloth. I get that, but you know, there's a lot of wiggle room there. So let, you know, these people who act like academic history is unfallible. These people drive me nuts. Um, and I think that they are destroying our ability to really understand what was going on in the past. Um, but I do think that these mythological books, they tell us a deeper truth about ourselves than any fossil record or collection of, you know, like a, a found correspondence, you know, letters between two people in history. They, they tell us, they tell us more about who we are than anything like that. They, they may not tell us, you know, like the, these, what the literalists are imagining that this book is telling us is like, you know, what primordial soup we crawled out of. It may not actually be telling us that, but it's telling us how we became ourselves amongst ourselves. Um, you know, and it's giving us, you know, you, you think about the 10 commandments. Some of those are silly, but a lot of those are good, good guidelines to live your lives by. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like that in the Bible, especially once you get up, you know, to Jesus and the stuff that he was talking about. There's a lot of good, good material in there. Um, so I don't think that this throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, thing that Rhett's doing here. Well, you know, since the evangelical interpretation is nonsensical, all of it, you know, I'm just going to turn my back on all of it. And, you know, whatever. I, w I was there, I, you know, when I, I said I was raised religious and I was, and in my teenage years, I, uh, you know, we got the internet and 
that also kind of coincided right with the time where I realized that I was not really like a dumb person. I, you know, I got bad grades all throughout my life and I just kind of thought that I was dumb, but getting into like 15, 16, I started to realize, no, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm just, I just hate school. Uh, you know, just kind of hate authority in general. Um, but you know, around that time when I was realizing that I wasn't dumb, that kind of pushed this curiosity in me and basically that curiosity killed any ability for me to be a literalist interpreter of, of religious works. You know, I just, um, you know, I I have my own issues with, um, objective reality and truth claims and things like that. I'm, I, you know, I try not to do that stuff too much. I fail like everyone does, but you know, I think that a lot of things are relative, but, um, yeah, I mean, I do understand basically what I'm getting at is that I do understand where Rhett's coming from. Um, you know, I was very, you know, when I was coming out of that, when I realized that I felt like everyone had been either lying to me or, too dumb to give me the real, the real deal, you know? Um, so I, I definitely understand maybe some of the irritation and anger that goes along with that. Um, but that the, the one thing that I wanted to dial in on there is that I did feel like everyone, when I realized that the way that I had been interpreting religious texts was wrong, I felt like everybody who gave those texts any credence was dumb. Um, and that seems to me to be how Rhett feels. Um, and you know, we had kind of talked in our Carl Jung episode about maniacal arrogance and Rhett displays some maniacal arrogance throughout these, these two podcasts. And to be fair, I displayed maniacal, maniacal arrogance, uh, when I was you know, a young, angry atheist myself. Um, and I'm sure there are some people in my life who would say that I display maniacal arrogance pretty frequently, but I try not to. Um, but yeah, so that being said that I do kind of understand where Rhett's coming from. Um, I just think it's interesting. You know, I know that Rhett probably knows that there are other ways to interpret the Bible and, that is kind of um, something that I want to just put a, put a note in when we go into the second podcast, because I think that there are ulterior motives to Rhett and Link distancing themselves from Christianity. But uh, kind of three of the questions that Rhett wraps up with here, uh, they, they go like this. If I don't have to believe that God commanded his chosen people to slaughter thousands of innocent people, why would I? Um, I mean, you know, this kind of goes back to these texts being history books about who we are and how we became those people and what we're capable of and the things that we will get up to, you know, if left unattended, if left, you know, without anybody kind of steering the moral wheel. Um, so 
you know, like the God, God having the Hebrew people commit genocide, you know, yeah, it's not good, I guess. I, I mean, obviously, no, it's definitely not good. No, I guess. But, you know, it, it's from thousands of years ago and some of it, who knows if it's even true. Some of it's definitely true, but you know, it, it, the, these are the stories of people who are trying to explain what they saw and how they were interacting with, you know, existing in Bronze Age, you know, the Bronze Age Middle East. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, because there's a chapter where some confused people, you know, kind of tried to justify a genocide by saying that it was commanded by God. That doesn't mean that, you know, a few books over when, you know, there's some good stuff that everyone agrees with. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't make all of it kind of invalid. And I think that Rhett knows that. I don't, I don't think that's a surprise again. Um, the next quote, if I don't have to believe that every other religious experience is invalid, then why would I? Um, Again, you don't have to. Uh, I'm sure that Rhett knows there are types of Christianity where people, you know, people can think that you can be whatever you want. As long as you're kind of abiding by some core principles, then you should be good. Um, again, I think, think Rhett knows that. Um, and that, that kind of ties into um, what I was talking about when I said that I think there were ulterior motives for their separation from their faith. Um, so I'll go into this last quote and it's kind of same format. If I don't have to believe every non-Christian is burning in hell, why would I? And the only note that I have in my notes right here is just stop being so literal, bro. Like has, I mean, nobody has talked to Rhett about, the idea that maybe the lake of fire is a metaphor. It's a, it's a useful way to express that if you don't orient yourself, you're going to be miserable, you know? Um, so that, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, it all ties back into, like I said, I think that there are other reasons for why they distance themselves from their faith. It's not just, uh, you know, they're jet fueled engineer brains, uh, because they are both engineers. Um, I, I, at the end of that podcast, he kind of, you know, he's talking about, you know, how lost he was. What am I going to do now? What am I going to teach my kids? And that, that worry about there being something, um, because I think, like I said, I think that Rhett understands that you, you've got to have something, um, and that, that just all reminded me of, we had mentioned it in an earlier podcast, the Friedrich Nietzsche quote where he talked about God, God is dead. And I just wanted to read that um, just because it is very powerful. And I think that it is relevant to uh, the situation here because, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm stating here, Rhett realizes that he has to replace his lost faith with something. And we're going to see in this next podcast, because we're running up to the end of the first one, um, we're going to see what he replaces it with. Um, 
And maybe some of you already have an idea. But uh, so here's this Nietzsche quote. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? And that is Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, I really do think that that, that quote just kind of drives home the, you know, like Chris was kind of talking in his episode, just this innate human thing where you have to have something, you know, uh, and being somebody who's kind of dabbled in nihilism, and things like that, I can tell you it doesn't uh, doesn't make it easy to be happy. Doesn't make it, you know, it's hard to be happy when you think that everything is pointless and meaningless. And, you know, a lot of people will try to, t- uh, well, you know, maybe that's the way it is for them. It's not how it was for me. But they tell you, oh, once you know that nothing matters, it's freeing. Um, yeah, that's not how I saw it. That is, uh, it was a little bit more depressing than that for me. But to each his own. Um, so right at the end of this podcast, Rhett kind of starts to lift the veil on what maybe he's going to be replacing his formerly evangelical Christian faith with. And he says, um, he says a sentence that he kind of ends like this because of who I am and what I look like, I got along very well. Uh, he's basically saying that he got to live his dream. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's some old, uh, I got it cause I'm white that, you know, that's exactly where he's going with that. And there's going to be a whole lot more of that in the second episode, uh, that, you know, the, the one year later of, um, this Rhett's spiritual deconstruction, um, at the end of, at the very end of it, Rhett asks, or I'm sorry, Link asks Rhett, can you see yourself going back? Um, and Rhett says, I'm never going to believe that the earth is 10,000 years old. And, you know, that's like one area where maybe there's a little difference too, because I, I'm not saying I believe the earth is 10,000 years old. Okay. Um, but I also, and I've kind of touched on this a little bit too throughout this um, people, lay people who quote science, they're taking the science on faith to some level. Some of them, you know, maybe there, maybe there are some people who understand things better than other people. I don't doubt that. But the thing about science is that science is a body of, inf- science is not a body of information. It's a method of asking questions in order to be able to ask better questions in the future. Um, so, what we think one day could be the complete opposite of what we think tomorrow. And I mean, granted, the earth being 10,000 years old, I, I, t- I covered this earlier. That's probably not going to be one of them. But I'll tell you this, um, coming off of the heels of the psychedelic episode, I've had some 
psychedelic experiences that make me the type of person who I would not be surprised to find out that anything is the real truth, the, the base truth. You know what I mean? Um, the earth being 10,000 years old. I mean, I've had some experiences on psychedelics where time is meaningless. What is 10,000 years? I have no, I don't in that context. I have no idea. Maybe the earth, maybe the earth is 10,000 years old. You know, if, if one day for God is a million years for man, who who knows? Maybe, maybe 10,000, maybe, uh, maybe this is all only 10,000 years old. So I, I just, you know, the, the main points from that first episode, don't be tied to a literalist, um, translation of the Bible, interpretation of the Bible or any text. Um, give yourself more room to interpret things you're going to get more out of it um and i think that the spirit the initial spirit of the thing doesn't have to change because you're letting it be interpreted different ways you kind of can't help if people interpret things different ways anyway so you know um but so that was you know the don't take things so literally with the this the spiritual text the uh the religious text and also you know, it just kind of touch back on the psychedelic episode. Who knows? Who knows what is going on? I certainly do not. And I do not like people who pretend like they do. Um, you know, you get your people like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, you know, I think he's entertaining. He's got some interesting little factoids here and there that I, you know, I enjoy hearing them as much as the next guy. But... You know, like I, I tweeted something out to this effect before. Let's not pretend that he's not like a super condescending, pretentious, you know, uh, not a huge fan. But anyways, um, <laughs> to stop bashing Neil deGrasse Tyson for a second. Um, so. And just to like touch on the, the whole thing one last time, if you are interested in a way to interpret the Bible that is not literalist, that is not inerrant, but still will give you a way to derive truth and meaning from those stories, go on YouTube and listen to Jordan Peterson's biblical series lecture. Um, it's good stuff. And that's, that's really all I'll tell you. Another thing I'll tell you, um, if you are a Christian person, or even if you're not, because I'm not, and I find this podcast interesting, um, there's a podcast called you have permission and it's hosted by this guy named Dan Coke. Um, and I, that, that has been a valuable resource for me and it will continue to be, it's a pretty interesting show. I would, I would check it out. The way I found out about that is for that psychedelic episode I was thinking about, and we didn't really touch on any of this. Um, but I was thinking about psychedelic, we touched on music a little bit, but I was thinking about psychedelic music in, you know, the actual composition of the, the instruments. And I was also thinking about psychedelic themed lyrics and Dustin Kensrue from Thrice. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys know that band, but I, I love that band. And I tweeted out, um, 
you know, if I didn't know that Dustin Kensrue was a Christian, I would think that he had experience with psychedelics. And he tweeted back at me and he said, uh, you know, one doesn't have anything to do with the other, but thanks. And I kind of got the impression that maybe he thought I was, you know, like trying to get like a gotcha on you. Like you think psychedelics are cool, but you're, you say you're a Christian. Um, so I just, you know, I just kept chatting with him, uh, and he eventually like softened up a little bit. Uh, and he recommended that I listen to a psychedelics episode of that, um, you have permission podcast. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I just wanted to shout that podcast out and shout out thrice for being a sweet, sweet band with great lyrics. Uh, so check that out. Um, so where are we here? Uh, okay. So going into this second episode, I think it is, um, a good time to talk about the, that whole episode or, you know, that first, when we were going over that first episode, I kept talking about how I think that Rhett had other, Rhett and Link had other motives for leaving the Christian faith and doing so publicly. Um, and now I think is a good time to kind of talk about what those reasons are because um, it's going to become apparent, I think, when we start talking about, you know, Rhett's complaints in this one year later episode. And the reason that I think that they left, and I could be wrong, you know, I, I don't doubt that Rhett did get hung up on the, you know, the things being the things that he thought were true, not being true. And yeah, I understand you can wrestle with that. That can be hard for some people, but I think that there's more to it than that. And I think that what that is, is optics. I think that Rhett and Link, I didn't look before I came, came here and started recording this, but they have millions of YouTube followers. Okay. Uh, they get a bajillion video views, uh, you know, and Rhett and Link are making money. They're doing very well for themselves. Um, you know, every video on top of ad revenue that they're getting from YouTube, they've got, you know, they sell more stuff to their, their listeners than anybody I've ever seen. Like every episode, it's like buy, buy the mythical mug, buy the mythical, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even know. They've got tons of stuff. So they're doing very well for themselves. Okay. And they're very brand safe. Um, one thing that you may notice watching it is that they, they do keep it pretty brand safe. They're not trying to, uh, offend anyone. They're not trying to rustle, you know, rustle, ruffle, whatever. They're not trying to do that to people's feathers. Um, and, uh, well, they're okay with ru rustling a certain group of people's feathers, but it's because it's okay to rustle those people's feathers. And we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it is kind of confirmed by the, the stuff that Red is complaining about. So they opened this podcast talking about how, um, it was easy, easier for them to be open um, during, you know, the hell of 2020 because they had been, you know, they had been closed off about their origins so much that it was hard for them to be open. And that makes sense. Um, so I, I, that's good. Good for them. It's good to be able to finally be, you know, who you really are, I guess. 
Um, I would be slightly concerned if this was who I really was, but, uh, you know, I think, um, I think that they kind of had to be closed off back before they denounced their faith because Christianity, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Christianity is not popular amongst, um, you know, the cathedral types, you know, and I would say that the YouTube, you know, the YouTube content creators, they kind of, it's kind of just right there in the ballpark of Hollywood and maybe even a little worse than Hollywood because, you know, they have to deal with the tech, the big tech organizations too, which are very involved in the cathedral aspect of things. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, Mencius Moldbug, the cathedral. Um, we talk about it a little bit on the first episode, but you know, Rhett and Link being openly Christian in Hollywood might not be good and might be inviting the potential for future people to call them out, you know, who knows? Uh, so I think that that maybe had something to do with this, uh, you know, get it away from me with the Christianity. Um, so Rhett kind of goes back into his problems with the literal interpretation of the Bible you know, demonstrating that he's learned nothing in a year's time, or he's just still ignoring the fact that there are other ways to interpret the Bible. Um, he does, he does kind of mention that there are other ways to interpret things, but, uh, he says, I somewhat agree, but I also don't believe Jesus rose or was the ultimate manifestation of God. It's like, okay, well then you're still being very literal, you know? Um, uh, you know, what, what could Jesus be? You know, if Jesus is not literally the son of God, you know, God didn't magically impregnate Mary and she gave birth to Jesus as, you know, the person who came to wash away all of our sins. If you're going to interpret it less literally, what else could he be? It's not, you know, there's like a world of options. Uh, you know, have you read Shakespeare? Um, I don't know. So I, again, that's just to kind of talk about how he has to know that there are other ways to interpret it. Um, you know, he kind of touches on hell again. That's not even something I want to believe. And, you know, maybe when it comes to like people burning in hell and like I, I said, it, it maybe it's a metaphor and maybe, maybe we should prepare people for the fact that, you know, maybe while you don't actually burn in a fiery pit for all eternity, there could be some kind of awful consequences if people don't orient themselves in some sort of way. Um, you know, that kind of calls me back to the Nietzsche, co Nietzsche quote. Um, I did not just say Nietzsche, I said Nietzsche. Um, but, you know, that does, it calls me back to that quote, you, you have to have something or you're going to be lost. You're going to be in a bad, bad way. Um, and it's going to be all your fault too, basically. Um, and you know, that that's timely because this is kind of where Rhett starts really laying it out there for what his new religion is. And, uh, that's the way he does that is by kind of admitting that he's going to be, concentrating mostly 
on the white evangelical church. And he's hoping that he will have a positive effect. <laughs> so he's uh, calling out white people, calling out the white Christians specifically. So, let, you know, let's just see. Let's see what his arguments are. Uh, he says that the actions of the white evangelical community in 2020 uh, made him very glad that he had disassociated from them. Uh, his main displeasure kind of comes from what he says is their spurious relationship to the truth and racial justice. Um, so, again, I, I'm sure you're, you can kind of see where what religion this is going towards, if you can call it a religion. I, I do. Uh, at this point, Rhett kind of goes over, you know, some of the problems that he has with the white evangelical community. Um, I, I'm going to more or less read them off verbatim and, you know, we'll address them afterwards. I just want to kind of give you an unadulterated glimpse of the type of stuff that Rhett is, what his problems are, and then I'll address them afterwards. Um, so he starts with this white Christians are twice as likely as unaffiliated whites to say that killings of black men by police are isolated incidents rather than part of a pattern of how police treat African-Americans. That's the first statement. Second statement, white Christians are about 30 percentage points more likely to say that monuments to Confederate soldiers are symbols of Southern pride rather than symbols of racism. That's the second one. Third, White Christians are also about 20 percentage points more likely to disagree with the following statement. Generations of slavery and discrimination have caused conditions that make it difficult for blacks to work their way out of the lower class. That's a quote by a guy named Robert P. Jones, who created a racism index that was generated using 15 questions designed to get beyond personal biases and include perceptions of structural injustice. Um, and apparently white evangelical Protestants had the highest racism score on these tests. And, you know, we can go over, I mean, I'm not going to have like actual stats or anything. Uh, I'm not going to like link any articles, but you can, you can find them. These tests, a lot of these biases tests are just complete garbage. There's no, there's no scientific method behind it at all. It's, you know, basically some people said, you know, design a test for me that will make it look like everyone is racist. Uh, and that's what they did. So kind of going into the last quote here, while most Christians think of themselves as people who have warm feelings toward African-Americans, holding racist views is nonetheless positively and independently associated with white Christian identity. That's uh, another quote by that Robert P. Jones fella. Um, now Rhett says that having spent his whole life in these churches, he doesn't need these facts, but you might. So there's a little bit more of that maniacal arrogance that we were talking about. Um, you know, he just puts, and this is a, this is a common thing in the world today. He puts so much value on his own anecdote, and uh, I can't talk anecdotal experience um, gives it so much value in feeling that it's objective truth or something, uh, you know, and I'm sure that it has its truth, but you know, things are complicated. 
So he goes on to say that racism has a very comfortable home in the white evangelical church. No racism at all in the black evangelical church. Um, so let you know. Let me kind of let me kind of address these points. Um, you know, police violence against black Americans, and this is maybe going to be a little spicy, but police violence against black Americans is not any more of a problem in the United States than police violence in general. Um, you know, I, I'm an, basically an anarchist. I'm not here to defend the cops. Okay. But I'm definitely not here because I'm not defending the cops. I mean, they're just as bad, if not worse, with other people. It's th- This is not – this idea that it is specifically being perpetrated against black people is a media creation um, because the media is in bed. They're a part of the cathedral with the people who are in charge, with the government, with, you know, with all of those systems that – kind of linked together to form the cathedral, Um, you know. So I'm sure that a lot of you, you know, will know these names. I'm sure you'll recognize most of these names. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. I'm sure that all of you probably know those names. Um, What about these names? Tony Timpa, Duncan Lemp, Michael Bell Jr. You have any idea who those people are? Have you ever heard those names before? Um, Cannon Heinent. Do you know that name? I mean, he wasn't killed by cops, but still kind of, uh, you know, a racially motivated crime. Um, You know, if you don't know those names you can just kind of lump yourself in with the vast majority of Americans who are reliably duped by the corporate press every single time one of these these shootings is, is blown up in the media. Um, why, you know, why is it that when you look into all these shootings, I mean, they're bad, don't get me wrong. Again, I'm not, I'm not defending the cops here. But, you know, if I get pulled over by the cops, there's a, a certain way that I'm going to act. Uh, even though I kind of hate them with every fiber of my being, I'm not going to be aggressive uh, because I don't want to die. You know, it may not be they – might, they may not have the right to come up and hassle me, but I don't want to die. So I behave a certain way, um, you know. So, I, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, a lot of that, it's, uh, it's a media spell that they have the general public under. Um, on the Confederate soldiers, you know, a lot, of, a lot of white evangelical Christians are from the South. Uh, there's, you know, I, I would guess more of them down there than anywhere else. Um, they're, they're going to be more inclined to see the rebels as heroes um, because that's where they're from. That's their legacy. Uh, is it, is it wrong that they basically venerate Genghis Khan in Mongolia? Um, you know, I'm willing to bet that Rhett doesn't have as much of a problem with that for one reason or another. Um, and it just demonstrates 
this lack of understanding for the nuance of history and culture. I mean, we can't hold we can't hold men of yesterday responsible or I mean, we can't hold them to the standards of today. You know, uh, if we do that, we're not going to have any heroes. Uh, I mean, we have different culture. There were different cultural standards in, in the Civil War, um, you know, and that war was about more than slavery. And if you think, you know, don't let yourself be fooled into believing that Abraham Lincoln was, you know, really the good guy in that scenario. I'm not I'm not sure that there really were good guys. Um, I think that the people on the, the front lines there dying were the good guys on both sides because they were both fighting for what they believed to be right, you know. And that is why even on the Confederate side that people hold those people up as heroes um, because they laid down their lives fighting for something. And if you can just hand wave all of that away by saying, yeah, well, they were fighting for racism, um, you're an idiot. And it's more complicated than that. Um, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln was a racist himself. I, I don't know if I said that already or not, but you know, he's definitely not, uh, not the best friend of the African-American back in the day, you know, and Rhett goes on to say that he was taught that slavery ended because of Christian abolitionists, but um, really slavery continued because of white Protestant Southern slavers. And this harkens back to the literalist translation and the fact that there's many ways to interpret the Bible. Both of those things are true. Christian abolitionists did have a lot to do with ending slavery and Christian, you know, Protestant white Protestant slave owners had something to do with perpetuating it, that those things are both true. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, and if Rhett could just get it, get it through his head that there are lots of ways to interpret the Bible. If you, you know, if you have, if you go into a scenario where you're interpreting the Bible and you want to have it interpret out a certain way, you can do that. I mean, you know, these are kind of the people, and I'll, you know, maybe we'll talk about them a little bit, people who take advantage of true believers. So, you know, cr but anyways, Christian Western values, that, that's what ended the slave trade in the West, okay? Um, so, you know, just all depends on the interpretation. Um, you know, this is all kind of hinging on the point Rhett makes about 20% of evangelicals not believing blacks have uh, been held back by slavery and discrimination. Um, I mean, you know, this is, again, we're getting going to get a little spicy here, but how long do black people need? Slavery ended in 1865. That is 156 years ago, I think. Uh, it's definitely over 150 years ago. Uh, you know, I bet there are people who were kidnapped and sold into sexual slavery and were rescued in the last decade who are doing better than the black community is doing after a century and a half of, of uh, not being slaves anymore, okay? Um, I, you know, every race and ethnicity 
throughout the course of history have been slaves at some point. Why, why do the others bounce back so quickly? What's that all about? Um, you know, what more do we need to do? How much of the money that I rightfully earn needs to be taken, you know, from me and my family at the threat of the jailhouse and the bayonet, as good old Murray Rothbard said, um, you know, what, how much of what is mine rightfully needs to be taken and given to other people because something bad happened to their great, 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 great grandfather. I don't even, that may, that might be too great, too many greats, but you know, you get my point. Um, and why is it that, you know, talking about this stuff, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't, adversities that black people are coming up against. I just think that their animosity is displaced. You're aiming it at the wrong people. Malcolm X even said the greatest enemy of the African-American. I think he may have used a different word that I don't want to get in trouble for, but the biggest enemy of the African-American is the white liberal. Um, So I think that maybe when black people and people who mostly pretend to care about black people, but you know, some of them are sure really do, but when they are assessing the situation, they should look, they should pull a different group of people under the microscope. That's, that's all I'm going to say there. Um, you know, you consider why is it that back in the civil rights era, black families were more likely to stay together by a large percentage margin. It's, you know, it's not, not insignificant, Um, Being raised in a single parent household is one of the highest risk factors for having problems throughout your life. Um, I think that's particularly true with males. And, you know, we'll get to uh, how that is relevant here in a second. Um, You know, 77. So if if that having both parents in there is very important, it's concerning that 77.3 percent as of 2015 um black children are born to single mothers what are what are the repercussions of that going to look like in the black community um they might look something like the black population the you know the percentage of the 12 percent of the population is black uh black people commit 50% of violent crime. Um, and that's mostly males. So there's your repercussions. Um, and so, but the fact that that's mostly males, 12% is actually too high. It's more like 6%. So you got 6% of the population committing 50% of the violent crime. Um, is there anything that we could do about that? You know, is there anything you could do at home that would remedy that situation. Um, you know, it, it seems to me like a lot of these, a lot of the problem, I mean, even the shootings, it's all, it's all young black men. Uh, you know, maybe if they would have had a father to teach them to react to the police in a way that is, you know, Again, not defending the police, but in a way that is not likely to get your head blown off, that would probably be good. You know, role models, that's that's important stuff. 
Um, another way that it has an effect on the black community is, you know, 12% of the population, 50% of the abortions, um, a black baby is as likely to be aborted as they are to be born. It's like 50, 50. That's, um, you know, that seems a lot like genocide on some level. I mean, uh, that's just a very, the implications of that are very disturbing. Um, so then you've got black on black, violent crime. You know, why, why are you so worried about the cops when you're much more likely to be killed walking down your street in your neighborhood? Um, you need that, that type of stuff in, is indicative of problems that I'm not going to be able to help with. You know, I mean, I might be able to do a little bit and I'm happy to do a little bit. Um, but a lot of the the common big government solutions for these problems, I'm not really going to be able to help that much. Okay. Um, so black on non-black crime, you know, you would think the way that things are portrayed in the media, you would think that this was like the 1800s, the, you know, 1910s, somewhere in that area were just, killing black people all the time, lynchings. Um, but I think that anybody who is being honest with themselves knows if a black person is coming into a majority white neighborhood, they are a lot less likely to be attacked than a white person traveling into a majority black neighborhood. Um, you know, you, maybe you can chalk this up to maniacal arrogance, but like Red's Rhett said, um, I don't really need those stats, but maybe you do. That seems, you know, pretty apparent to me just on the face of it. Um, and I, I'm really, I'm not afraid of black people. Um, despite the fact that I'm much more likely to be assaulted by a black person than a black person is to be assaulted by a white person. I'm still not like largely afraid of black people because uh, I mean, you know, people are individuals, you know, uh, and that just shows how effective this like anti-whitey propaganda is in the media that that people seem to be just going around believing that. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know that this is like clan times. It just seems silly to me. It doesn't seem believable. I don't understand how so many people are um, falling for that. Um. But basically, like I was kind of saying throughout that entire thing, the problems of the black community are their own problems. We are never going to be able to fix them for them. Continuing to try to fix the problems only leaves them worse and worse off. And, um, you know, it further deteriorates our relationship as well. People don't feel good and powerful in their own lives when they're victims, when they're constantly being told that they're victims. And people don't have pride in themselves or what they do when they're an eternal charity case, you know? Uh, and I, I really do believe those things. Um, so it kind of 
Rhett's kind of starting to wrap up here. He says, holding racist views is nonetheless positively and independently associated with white Christian identity. That's a quote from that guy, Jones. Um, by whose metric, you know, like we were talking about with those tests being largely bullshit. Uh, if it's, you know, if it's someone like Rhett or this Jones fella who are, you know, deciding who's racist with, you know, this new definition of racism that is, you know, so large and vague that everything is racist. Milk is racist. Eggs are racist. Flour is racist. Cake is racist, basically. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't necessarily find it convincing that because Robert P. Jones said that holding racist views is nonetheless positively and independently associated with white Christian identity. You know, I'm sorry. I, I don't necessarily feel that I need to take that seriously. The vast majority of these white evangelical Christians that Rhett and Mr. Jones have such a problem with are not the type of people who would ever do physical harm to a black person or cause them harm in any way intentionally. Um, what they are the type of people who will do is they're the type of people who will disagree with Rhett and people like Rhett about what is the cause of the problems in the black community. You're not allowed to have an opinion on what is the problem in the black community. The black community and every other community in the world is allowed to have an opinion on what the problem with the white community is. But you just get to keep your mouth shut. You don't, you don't get to say anything. And if you do, you're going to get ran out on a rail, you know, learn your place. Uh, so Rhett kind of, you know, he get he, like I said, he's closing out his, um, racism tirade here. Um, and he says, you know, Sunday morning remains the most segregated time and place in America, as in, you got white churches, you got black churches. Um, so, so what? Who cares? Um, that's voluntary. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are white people who go to black churches. I know there are black people who go to white churches. Um, so, may, yeah, it's largely segregated, but not by force. It's voluntary. And, you know, that's kind of going to be something that we're going to get back to towards the end here. Um, so, the, and this is something that really kind of irritated me on the way, on the way out of the racism thing. He starts talking about how white evangelical Christians, those evil WECs are more likely to call out the violence and destruction of BLM riots than to acknowledge the cause for the riots in the first place, systemic racism. And he's very upset about this. You can hear in his voice that he's indignant and he's just, you know, it's, it's fucking cringy, honestly, but whatever. Um, you know, the only systemic racism, I mean, honestly, the only real systemic racism that I see in the United States is affirmative action. Um, people don't really seem to have a lot of sympathy for whitey or Asians though. So, you know, I, I just don't see, uh, do, a, are there racists in America? Sure. Sure. There are, um, do those racists have the ability to really mess with anyone? No. I mean, you get, 
the only people who have power in this country are people who are like, you know, um, you know, CEOs of giant companies, very wealthy people, uh, people who are in government. You can't, you can't be a racist and be those people or you will get crucified. Look at, you know, just scroll back through the headlines of the last two years and see all of the people who, you know, said something just kind of wrong and are now canceled. So, uh, you know, I just don't see a whole lot of, you know, racism that is a real institutional problem for people. And I think that, um, I think Black Lives Matter really screwed up by racializing these protests. I think that all of these, uh, but especially George Floyd, I think George Floyd in particular, but all of these could have been moments to get some kind of unity um, between black people and white people, poor people, rich people, whatever, get some unity going and try to make some actual change, you know, let the police know that you have a problem with the violence problem, not the violence problem against black people or the violence problem against white people unite and tell the powers that be that you don't want you're not interested in this forceful way of policing anymore. There's, there's gotta be a better way to do it. Um, use your imagination a little bit, you know, but yeah, I do think that they, they did screw up, you know, instead of getting any real changes, they got, uh, Aunt Jemima taken off the bottle. So yay for that. Um, but you know, there's this one guy, I mentioned him earlier. His name is Michael Bell Jr. And he is a white fella who got, shot in the head point blank range. Okay. By a cop point blank. The cop had the gun to his head, pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. Okay. So the cop takes it, unjams the gun, puts the gun back to the dude's head, point blank range, pulls the trigger and shoots him. Okay. So that's what happened to Michael Bell jr. That's a lot worse than what happened to Trayvon. That's a lot worse than what happened to George Floyd. Um, when you take all of the stuff into consideration and, uh, that guy's father, Michael Bell senior has been, you know, being a thorn in people's side for about, you know, for over 10 years, trying to get some attention for what happened to his son. And because he is white, there's no attention for it. I think it was, I don't know if it was the Super Bowl or what, but Michael Bell senior was at some kind of an NFL game and Colin Kaepernick was there and Michael Bell senior you know, told Colin Kaepernick that I'll kneel with you. You know, we can get some kind of unity going. Just mention what happened to my son. Colin Kaepernick would not do it. Just so you know, that's, that's who Colin Kaepernick is. That's, uh, everybody's hero, the Nike superstar, the great quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. So that's the character of that man. Um, you know, why is it wrong to call out BLM for committing violence and destroying people's livelihoods and their, their private property? Why is there a separate set of standards? Um, you know, did Rhett, uh, I don't know. Cause like I said, he doesn't, they don't get political and philosophical too much. Uh, but do you, do you think that Rhett had a problem calling out 
um, when everybody was talking about the Capitol insurrection, when they were talking about that being a riot, do you think Rhett was like, well, you know, let's think, let's take into consideration what it's all about. I don't think so. I'm, you know, I don't watch everything they put out, but I missed that one. I definitely missed that one. Um, you know, and those, the Capitol riot was considerably less violent than, the Black Lives Matter riots. I mean, do you guys remember that? That was like a summer of chaos, a summer of people's businesses being destroyed, people who sunk their all their savings, you know, were get, just getting by with their store they were running destroyed, you know? Um, not, you know, not only am I okay with calling out Black Lives Matter for their violence and thuggery, but I'll tell you what I wish would have happened, Okay. The world that I want to see be realized is a world where innocent bystanders and small business owners don't have to stand around and wait for police to protect them who have been ordered to protect the rioters in the first place. Um, in the world that I want to see come to fruition, people would just be hiring security, you know, you hire a security team. Um, and that sounds expensive, but I think you might be surprised. Um, and also in my world, if you break into someone's private property with the intent to do them or their property harm, good luck, good luck with how that's going to go for you. Okay. Um, I believe it's the duty of every human being to be armed. Okay. Um, go ahead. You can, you can break into my place if you want to, but I'm just going to tell you that's not going to end well for you. Okay. Uh, so that's something to consider. That's something that maybe we could have done differently, but, uh, you know, I, I think that some people would probably have a problem with that. We'll just put it that way. Um, have a problem with it because I don't think that there should be gun restrictions, have a problem with it because, they're going to say that I'm encouraging people to, you know, shoot people who are breaking into their house, which yes, yes, that is what I'm, that is, I am encouraging that. If somebody's breaking into your house and they're like, or your, your place of business and they're setting it on fire and smashing your windows and stealing from you, go ahead and shoot them. I don't, I don't think that's bad. I don't think there's anything immoral about that. Um, you know, you have no right to ruin or end the lives of peaceful people. Peaceful people have the right to fight back, and I think that they should. Uh, so, you know, Rhett kind of closes it out with, uh, simply put, white evangelicals have been on the wrong side of the fight against racial injustice. Um, you know, this is very important because racial injustice, or no, I'm sorry, racial justice is a, is a core tenet of Rhett's new religion. Although I think that racial injustice is actually what the tenet is, but you know, they pretend it's racial justice. Uh, so that, that's kind of it for his spiel on racism, but he's not done. Okay. So he goes on to talk about COVID-19 and the evangelical, the white evangelical kind of reaction to the phenomenon that was COVID-19. So he says, to the people who have mixed Christian nationalism and Trumpism, 
uh, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the guy who sits next to you in church and knows better. Okay. So there's a little bit more of that maniacal arrogance for you. Uh, it just keeps popping up throughout the entire episode. So he starts by saying, and I, I, I'm not going to do this the way I did with the race stuff. I'm just going to kind of address them as I come to them. Um, despite studies showing mask wearing, despite studies showing mask wearing limits the spread of virus, white evangelical Christian groups at least are they're the group that is least likely to wear a mask. Okay. Um, well, you know, I know there are studies showing that mask wearing limits spread of virus, but there are also plenty of studies that show that masks worn by lay people who don't even have the right type of mask in the first place and don't know how to put the mask on, even if they do have the right mask, that's not effective at all. Okay. And this type of cloth over the mouth mask that is, seems to be the most popular everywhere I go. It's not effective at all. Okay. This guy, Michael Osterholm, who was on Rogan and now, well, I mean, Biden's in now, so it's not the Biden transition team anymore, but he was working for the Biden transition team in between. Uh, He said, wearing a mask in order to protect yourself against a virus is like closing three out of five doors on a submarine. Okay. And this is a virologist or some shit. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. Um, I guess, you know, Fauci flip flopped on the masks. Uh, you know, he said, don't buy them. They don't help. And later he came out and said that the only reason he said that is because he didn't want us to be depleting the amount of PPE that nurses and doctors and health workers could get. Um, and you know, maybe that's true, but he was still lying. Okay. And I don't blame people for not trusting people who admit to lying to them. That, uh, seems like good common sense to me. Um, you know, just think about the fact that viruses are tiny. I mean, I don't even know how to describe to you how small viruses are. Um, you know, think about your mask. You could take like this type of mask that I'm currently wearing on top of my head to keep my hair out of my face. Um, I could take this mask and I could pool a bunch of water up in it and the water is going to run right through that mask. Okay. What do you think little tiny viruses are doing with the, the tiny holes in that mask? It's not helping three out of five doors on the submarine being closed. It is not helping. Okay. Um, the best evidence of that, there is this gentleman who I have a great amount of respect and appreciation for. His name is Tom Woods. He hosts a podcast called the Tom Woods show. Go check that out. Um, and he did this whole presentation about COVID and he shows these graphs and, you know, you have the initial COVID where we, we, you know, we got a ton of cases, Okay. And we, uh, we started to get that, you know, sometime around the summer and maybe into the fall, we started to get that under control a little bit and the cases flattened out. You know, they said that's what they wanted to do in the first place. You know, two weeks to flatten the curve, all that bullshit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but they got it flat and they never let up the lockdowns, but anyways, they got it flat and then I am terribly sorry about that. Um, They get the, they get the curve flattened. It's flat. And then the mask mandate comes in 
and it remains flat for a while. And with the mask mandate that is supposed to make this huge different difference, the the cases spike up again. So even by your own stupid graphs, the masks are not making any difference. Okay, it's uh not not helping. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to take a little break there. That coughing was uh really getting to me. It still feels like it might be but. Be bothering me a little bit, so <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, you know, maybe I have COVID. <laughs> um, all right, so back into his next point. Although COVID mortality numbers are within the range predicted by scientists at the start of the pandemic, and hospitals have been, as predicted, overwhelmed in many parts of the country, white evangelicals are the most likely demographic to deny the serious of the pandemic. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I'm old enough to remember at the beginning of COVID when they were predicting two million people would die. Okay, um, so how did the goalposts get moved so far back on that one, Rhett? You know, you're saying that the deaths are, you know, kind of in the ballpark of what they predicted, but no, they're not. They're not even close. Um, <clears throat> at the start of this, it was just a bunch of, and it, it didn't really change. It continued to be this, a bunch of fear-mongering throughout the entire, the entire pandemic, okay? So why, why does, why is rat cutting that kind of slack? Why is, you know, what do we have? We have almost 500,000 deaths. Why is he saying, why is he giving that slack to those scientists and those governors and those senators and the president? Why is he giving them that slack? Slack that he won't give the Bible, you know, that's all either, you know, literally true or it's bullshit. But, uh, these people who just are constantly shifting goalposts and, you know, weaseling around, you know, he, he's got room for them to tell a bunch of lies. So, uh, the hospitals, the hospitals were not overwhelmed. New York was overwhelmed for a little while, but not even to the point where they had to use that, that ship. Remember Trump sent that ship. I can't remember what the name of it was, but, um, <clears throat> like the main hospital in New York might've been overwhelmed, but they can they converted that thing the Javits Center over into like hospital overflow. I don't think that thing even got overwhelmed, and they never had to use that ship that they sent to uh, the New York Harbor. So overwhelmed, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't agree. Okay, uh, most areas. Hospitals were operating at well below capacity due to COVID restrictions on, you know, making things voluntary procedures, blah, blah, blah. You know, the the toll that this is going to have on people who put off cancer screenings and stuff like that, it's going to be devastating over the next 10 years, 10, 15 years. Um, the, the pain that this is going to inflict on us, it's, you know, we're seeing what's above the water on that iceberg. Trust me, there's a lot more. It's coming. <coughs> yeah, I, I really do think I have COVID. I'm sorry I'm coughing so much. I can't keep, like, turning it off, though. Um, he also says um, white evangelical Christians are more likely to question the efficacy of vaccination in general. 
more likely to believe false information about the COVID vaccine. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really consider myself an anti-vaxxer. Um, but I also don't think that it's completely ridiculous to think that injecting a bunch of, you know, like weakened diseases and God knows what else goes into those things into our babies. I'm not, I don't think it's crazy to think that that might have some kind of negative repercussion, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not even saying that it, it doesn't have the positive repercussions of keeping people from getting, you know, polio or whatever. Um, but people need to be able to take information in and make decisions on that based on how they feel about it. You can't just tell people you're an anti-vaxxer, you're crazy. You know, if anything, that just makes people like me be like, oh, well, maybe they, maybe there's something to what that person's saying. Let me go look into it. Okay. If you take on a person, um, you know, take them on honestly, you're going to be, it's going to be more effective for you to like debunk the things they're saying. But the problem with that is, you know, like I said, I think that these anti-vaxxers, yeah, some of them might be crazy, but I also don't think that they're making completely awful points all the way around, you know? Um, and if you do uh, whatever, you know, seems, uh, pretty complicated, you know? Um, it's like they they need you to believe that it's black and white, that it's either anti-vax or vax, you know. There's no there's no gray area. Um, and that's like a thing that these people who are subscribing to the religion that I'm saying that Rhett is subscribing to, they that's a tactic for them. It's like them saying, um, you know, we're the side that's on the... That's with the experts and the scientists and the the people who are in charge. And the other side is the side who listens to Alex Jones and the bad Cheeto man, you know, Um, as if there aren't more sides than that. But that's that's what they they need you to believe that there are only two sides and they need you to believe that they're on the right side or, you know, the good side. (coughs) I am so sorry. Um, also with the COVID vaccine, I mean, vaccines in general, I can understand some criticism of, but this COVID vaccine, like, I think a normal vaccine takes like 10 years to develop. This has been 10 months. So, you know, if Crest came out with like a whitening toothpaste and they were like, you know, we, we really cut the, the trial, the trials on this short like by a lot, by like 90% or something. Um, I would be like, maybe I won't, maybe I won't do that. And it reminds me of, um, maybe I won't get that toothpaste. It reminds me of, um, I I can't remember if it's Bill Burr or if it's Joe Rogan, but I think it's Bill Burr. He's talking about not being the first in line to get some kind of a procedure like hair transplants, you know, like let, let that shit, let them figure it out first before you're rushing in there. And I think that if that's how you feel about the COVID vaccine, I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that that's unreasonable. So Red goes on to say, all this adds up to explain why America's had such a tough time with COVID. Um, 
You know, it couldn't have been the constant media barrage with the death counters on the bottom of the screen and the doom saying it couldn't have been any of that stuff. It had to have been the choices of the white evangelical community to not wear masks. Um, That's what really did us in, you know, because things have been so bad, you know, take, take into consideration your lived experience and the lived experience of everyone you know over the last year. And if you hadn't been watching the news, how much of your life, you know, would really seem different aside from the fact that you're now not allowed to go to the store. You know, you can't go see a movie when you're bored. So, (coughs) sorry again. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't know. I just, uh, I have a hard time taking that seriously. That's why we've had such a a hard time with COVID. Um, In short, white evangelicals have been on the wrong side of the fight against COVID. Uh, It seems pretty clear to me that this, this pandemic has been blown out of proportion since day one, um, since it became apparent that it it would be useful to blow it out of proportion. Uh, The lockdowns have been draconian. uh, And I think that the people who have inflicted them on us should be held to account for it. Uh, Rhett doesn't feel that way though. Rhett thinks that um, all of you non-essential people who can't make a living by eating penis flavored potato chips with your best friend on YouTube. You all need to just listen to what the wise leaders tell us. You, uh, you know, you, you don't get to make choices on, you know, what you think is worthy of, of your risk, what you think is worthy of your time. That that's all up to the wiser men than you. Um, and, you know, throughout all of this, Rhett puts it, he, like I said, he's leaning a lot on the science, um, but, you know, and I think that's just to put a distance between himself and people of faith, you know, the science, the science doesn't matter to all those white evangelical Christians. Those are the stupid people who, who question, <laughs> those are the stupid people who, who question things, um, Yeah, like what Rhett doesn't understand is is that he's still kind of a person of faith. Like, like we, I think, I think I mentioned this earlier. Rhett's a smart guy, but he's still taking some of that scientific stuff on faith, Um, because you know, like I said, science is a is a method. It's not a body of information. Science changes all the time. Okay, Um, sometimes it changes in more drastic ways than others. Uh, Those those types of discoveries are spaced out a little bit more, but they do happen. Um, but science being written in stone is another one of the core tenets of Rhett's new religion. And that science being set in stone is a core tenet until, until changing that science becomes beneficial to the people who can like rubber stamp that and make it okay. If that happens, then, you know, then science can change. So, uh, kind of the closing statement on the COVID racism stuff, white evangelicals represent a crossover of science denialism and racist opinions that have become an impediment against both racism and COVID. And instead of worrying about the poor and the black and the brown who are more likely to suffer, 
from both the pandemic and racial injustice, white evangelicals have been preoccupied with their own personal freedoms, spending more time and energy talking about their own persecution rather than those actually being persecuted. Um, you know, his voice, his voice cracks during this, like he's about to cry and it's, you know, come on, man, that, that alone makes me feel like this is ingenuine because I'm a grown man. And if I ever cry on one of these podcasts, please just roast me to death. I mean, I'm not even, maybe, maybe there'd be some kind of, you know, situation where I would cry. I can't imagine it though. And just the thought that you're going to come on and cry about this. It's like, it's just shades of Jimmy Kimmel. It's like, you're such a baby. And it, it it's just very cringy to me. Um, but yeah, just like, God forbid white people worry about the problems that are affecting them. You know, everybody's got to be concerned about other communities. And, you know, white people have to be worried about every other community. They don't have to be, they're not allowed to be worried about themselves though. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's just all kinds of double standards. So it's very silly. So another thing that I think is interesting is does Rhett know that black people are not really like into the idea of the vaccine? What does he have to say about that? What does that kind of like ruin things Are wait a minute. Are black people selfish? Is Rhett McLaughlin saying that black people are selfish because they're skeptical about the vaccine? I mean, does Rhett McLaughlin know anything about, uh, you know, the Tuskegee experiments where, the U.S. government told black men that they were going to give them free health care, but really what they did was infect them with syphilis because they wanted to see how syphilis would progress if untreated. Um, you know, there there are lots of reasons to not trust these types of things, and black people just need to draw from their own pool of experience in the past to have all kinds of reasons valid good reasons to not do the things that Rhett is saying that you must do. Otherwise you're a bad person. Um, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, really Rhett is kind of arguing that white evangelical Christians are too individualistic. Um, and, his new religion demands collectivism. Uh, people fighting for the right of self-determination are fighting for everyone's rights. Uh, that, that's what I believe. Um, so Link's choking back tears and he says, I'm not sure why I get so emotional about it, so emotional about it, but I think it's because I was such a part of it. There's a lot of shame. And just, I'm just like cringing out of my skin here. White guilt just grosses me out. Um... What have, what have Rhett and Link done aside from offer millions of people entertainment? You know, what kind of dark past must they have in this evil evangelical church to feel such, such guilt? Uh, or maybe have they just been brainwashed by their new religion? I don't know. Maybe that could be it. Um, you know, 
they say it's not it's not about how woke they are now and they're just talking to themselves but they're just talking to themselves on this giant podcast that they have seems to me like um they're performing one of the sacred acts of their new religion which is virtue signaling and what better way to virtue signal than to talk shit about Donald J Trump. Okay. So that's what we're going into now. Red says, you can't talk about 2020. You can't talk about the last four years without talking about Donald Trump. You don't want to, but you have to. I don't agree. I want to talking, talking to people that hate Donald Trump about Donald Trump is always entertaining to me. Um, so Red says that white evangelical Christians are the group most likely to uh, most highly supportive of Donald Trump. Eight out of 10, 80 percent for uh, DJT with the evangelicals. That's that is impressive. Um, I understand it, though, and we'll get to that. Uh, Red says he can think of few people less Christ-like than Donald Trump. And that's a common talking point. You hear people, people have been saying that since Donald Trump announced and since evangelicals have been supportive of, of him. Like that's like shades of Bill Maher who, you know, Bill Maher built a career shitting on religious people. And now they're supposed to take what he thinks about them seriously. Like who, who cares? Um, who cares what, these people who think that Christianity is stupid think about how Donald Trump, you know, represents Christianity. Um, you know, that's just, it's just completely ridiculous. Rhett says the version of Rhett in, you know, the multiverse where Rhett stayed in the evangelical church wouldn't have played along with the Donald Trump crap. That's a direct quote. Here's a little bit more of that maniacal ignorance. Just again, popping its head up all the way throughout this. If you lived in Germany in the 1930s through the 1940s, you would probably be a Nazi. Okay. Uh, for you to think that you would not means that you think you are, you know, in the top one percentile of special people in the world. You know, the people who we make movies about, Oscar Schindler, people like that, who are willing to stick their neck out there for people. Those people are rare, okay? And the people who don't stick their necks out for people, the people who are just going along, those people aren't bad people. That's you. That's you if you were in their situation. So try not to, try not to be so judgmental. Uh, just like I said, maniacal arrogance. So, you know, here Rhett starts talking, you know, he starts giving, uh, and I, I just think this is kind of funny. It's a, a quote from Jesus and a quote from Trump. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you. Donald Trump says, when people wrong, you go after those people because it's a good feeling. And because other people will see you doing it. I always get even. Uh, I just never pass up a, a chance to read a Donald Trump quote, but do I need the political leader of my nation to follow the rules of my religion to a T? Do I even need him to be a member of the same faith as me? Uh, no, I don't because nobody is on the same page as me and I would be screwed. So, you know, it's like Rhett does need that though. Like him and his, 
Rhett and people who see things the way he does, they do need a, a, a political leader that believes everything they do. And they also need all of us to believe everything that they do too. There's no room for anybody to disagree. Okay. Um, but what the white evangelical church and everyone else in the status world uh, wants is for someone to advocate for them. Okay. Trump may not have actually been advocating for his base in the manner that they believed he was, but he did a much better job of convincing them that he was advocating for them. And, you know, he really didn't even have to try that hard. You know, the left in this country has made it clear that white people, religious people, people who hold traditional values are not welcome in this new theocracy that's uh, being instituted here in the United States. Yeah, this was an easy win for Trump. You think about, you know, go on to uh, Telegram, and I'm sure you can find a whole bunch of these types of, uh, (laughs) these types of videos edited together, but um, you can find, you know, like one that comes to my head is Joe Biden is talking to some, you know, he's doing some press thing, and he says, whites are going to be a minority in this country, and that's a good thing. Um, and you can find all types of things of people just saying blatantly messed up things about white people. Okay. Um, that book, white fragility, there, there's another, just look at how white people are talked about in this country. Okay. Then you think about Gina Carano who got fired the other day, uh, from her big, nice Disney job. Uh, because she's slightly conservative. Maybe that's not like a white thing, but it's kind of all lumped in together there. Um, Why, when you you hear how we talk about white people in this culture, and when you hear Joe Biden saying that white people are going to be a minority in the future, uh, why do you expect white people to not start speaking up and supporting people who are at least vocally advocating for them. Okay. The, what they're doing and Gina Carano's right about this. Um, what she said, this type of stuff, they're building it up to where people on the right, white people, religious people, people of traditional values are being dehumanized. We're being othered and that's going to make it easier, uh, you know, easier down the road to maybe, you know, shuffle us onto a boxcar or something like that. Um, treating people like this, you know, the left likes to imagine that Donald Trump is this big evil Hitler character. This is how you get a real Hitler, okay? This is how you get somebody who is going to get up on some stage and start talking about how literally he's going to protect white people. Okay. You know, people criticize Donald Trump for this kind of stuff, but Donald Trump never, I don't believe that Donald Trump is a a white supremacist or a a white nationalist or a racist, but these people who say he does, they have to rely on dog whistles and stuff like that. No, if you keep doing this, there's going to be somebody who comes up and they're like, I'm going to take care of white people. How do you think that's going to go over? Okay. So, I just think in this country, we should probably work on toning down some of the rhetoric a little bit, you know, uh, and, you know, just talking about all this race stuff, like right now, uh, going on in the news, there's this Coke thing where they had some kind of, 
you know, training and they were telling people they need to be less white. And it seems like good timing, you know, like I've got this podcast coming out right now and it seems like good timing. But really what it is, is that when is there not something in the news about how white people are evil? You know, it's just becoming par for the course at this point. And I agree with Gina Carano. That is concerning. Uh, so I think that we really should kind of um, get out of that. Uh, so, but in that type of a, a climate, when somebody comes along and starts talking about white evangelical Christians politely and saying good things about them and wanting their support, it's no surprise that even though he's not, you know, Moses, that he's not the reincarnated, the, th- the, the third or second, or w- depending on which religion you're the, the next coming of Jesus it still makes sense that they support him because he's advocating for them. Okay. At least he says he is. I don't necessarily believe that he is at least not in ways that I think really matter. Um, but anyways, uh, to go on from there, there's, uh, just a a couple of Trump quotes and I'm just not going to pass up the opportunity to read a good Trump quote. This one's really short. Part of the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. That's it. That's the quote. Um, The next quote is, sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest and you all know it. Please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Uh, And Rhett and Link both at this one. Well, Rhett's like, that's almost kind of funny. And Link is like, I'm not laughing uh, because it's not really funny. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's hilarious. And you should stop virtue signaling and laugh at something that is, you know, pretty obviously uh, objectively funny. So just loosen up a little bit. Uh, So Rhett brings up, you know, just more harping on the same thing. Rhett brings up Donald Trump cheating on his pregnant wife with a porn star, the grab him by the pussy comment, the shooting someone on Fifth Avenue and being able to get away with it. Um, And evangelicals are still loyal to Trump. Again, they're looking past his flaws because he represents them. Uh, that's that's all there is to it. Red even kind of says this, but then like hand waves it away by saying a bunch of stupid shit about it's hard to square Jesus saying turn the other cheek with Trump's insistence that everyone have an AR-15 or feeding and clothing the hungry with Trump separating children from families um, to the rich to sell their belongings with passing tax plans that concentrate wealth. Um, I don't even agree with any of those issues individually. Okay. But even if I did, none of those have anything to do with the fact that they're just supporting him because he advocates for them. That's it. He's just way too hung up on this. Um, He says the devil tempted Jesus with kingdoms of earth and Jesus, you know, there's the old parable about Jesus going out with the devil and the devil tempting Jesus with a bunch of things. And one of the things that he tempts him with is the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus turns it down and Rhett thinks it doesn't make sense that white evangelical Christians won't do the same. Um, But this isn't a parable from the Bible. Okay. This is the real world where we all have to contend with people who want us to lose. Okay. And Christians have to deal with a lot of people in positions or, you know, of, positions of influence over our society who really want them to lose. Okay. Like people, 
people who tend to be uh, institutionally powerful, it's a trend to be kind of anti-Christian, all right? Um, should Christians just never fight for their interests at all? Should they just give up? Because that's what Jesus did in the Bible. So, you know, honestly, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something to that, but I don't think that it's, it's a convincing argument. I think that people tend to want to alter their circumstances. So, um, but I mean, they honestly, they honestly kind of did stop fighting. You think about the stuff going on with the COVID and the restrictions on religious liberties. Uh, you know, I bet, I bet the cucked response of Christians to this lockdown, not going to church and just putting up with it is probably the only behavior that Rhett would sign off on over the last year that he's probably on board with that of people, you know, stifling down their religious freedom. That's probably real good. I don't think it is. Uh, at least, you know, the Hasidic Jews up there in Brooklyn, at least they fought back and took that all the way to the Supreme Court. Good on them. Um, not that I really believe in the validity of the Supreme Court, but whatever, they won. Um, religious people should have banned together against that lockdown tyranny um, in the same way that black and white people should have band together in the fight against killer cops, ki cops who have a real problem with committing violence against the people that they're supposed to be protecting and serving. Um, that doesn't take away the fact that I, I know people aren't, uh, people aren't all great. There's good, there, there's a need for security, but, uh, I do have a problem with the police and I think we would have been more effective if we had not broke it down along racial lines. Okay. Um, so, you know, Rhett makes some stupid joke about Jesus being replaced with the my pillow guy. And you just wonder why religious people don't take people like Rhett seriously at all. Some, you know, stupid, stupid joke about the my pillow guy. Um, also what is wrong with the my pillow guy? I mean, he built a, a very successful business. He should be proud. And, you know, so he's got some wacky ideas. Bernie Sanders is a communist. Okay. So I don't want to hear about your wacky ideas and why people are successful in spite of them. Um, you know, Red goes on to talk about kids leaving the church because they see the example of Jesus through his words in the new Testament and his deeds. And they also see the example of the church failing to live up to him and that's, they're going, they're leaving to look for Jesus elsewhere is basically what Red says. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't problems with the church. Uh, I, you know, went, maybe someday we'll cover this stuff in greater depth, but I went through a lot of problems with the church. We did, we did touch on it a little bit earlier. Um, you know, I, I definitely don't, there's room for improvement, especially in some branches of Christianity. Okay. But some branches is key because the church is not a monolith. Okay. Rhett knows this. Rhett knows that there's a lot of, a lot of different things. Okay. But he just chose to bail because he has an image, him and Rhett, or I'm sorry, him and Link have an image that they need to, um, perpetuate so that they don't get in trouble. Uh, kids are also leaving church though, because, this is something we touched on in another podcast. Culture has been slowly shifting towards this atheism and nihilism for, you know, 200, 250 years in the West. So maybe more than that. 
Um, but it's definitely been in high gear then. And that's, that's not happening completely organically. I don't think, I think that something or someone, some entity, maybe the cathedral even has been leading our culture further into atheism and nihilism for quite some time. Okay. Um, there's a reason for that too. That's not a pointless thing to do. Um, people, when they are less dependent on their religion, their faith, and that community, that makes them more dependent on Rhett's new religion, okay? That makes them more dependent on this state-sponsored progressivism that is the new religion that that um, Rhett is taking on here, okay? Um, they go on to talk about how Lan- uh, Lando, Link's son, has a lesbian teacher who he loves. He saw him at um, Legoland, he saw her at Legoland and he just loves her. Okay. Link was saying that he couldn't have given his son permission to love her when they were Christians and how not being Christian allows Lando to love her fully. Um, that's telling to me about the progressive view on things again, about you can disagree with someone and still love them fully. I can anyways, but this progressive creed that Rhett has taken on doesn't seem to allow its followers to love someone unless they agree with them completely on everything. Okay. No room for deviation and thought. That is a, that is a hallmark of all of this. Okay. So saying hate the sin, love the sinner, uh, is in, they say that that's invalidating a huge part of that person's identity and existence. Uh, how is disagreeing, with a person's sexual orientation, denying somebody's identity or especially their existence. Okay. I I understand. I would understand more saying that it is, um, you know, canceling out or denying the va- denying them validation for their identity. I guess I understand that a little bit more, but no, you can still identify as somebody who is gay, but the Christian guy who owns the bakery doesn't have to agree with that. He's not saying that doesn't mean he's denying the fact that you're gay. You're coming into the bakery and you're saying, Hey, I'm gay. And he's saying, no, you're not. Uh, no, that means that he doesn't have to agree that that is a life style choice that is good. Okay. And he doesn't, he doesn't have to bake you a cake. Uh, just to go back to that old, that old issue. Um, but I mean, it is relevant. I I really do think you don't have to like everyone, you know, you don't have to think everyone's a super nice guy that you want to hang out with. Um, that's not, not really important. Um, and just that modern fascination with like validating people's experience drives me insane. Um, you know, maybe, maybe try not to impregnate your own personal experience with so much, you know, I don't know, just importance. It's just very narcissistic, I think. Um, Coming to the end of all of his bitching, Rhett uh, starts talking about his new religion a little bit. He starts talking about how Christianity is very individualistic because the West is very individualistic. He starts talking about Alan Watts and Eastern traditions and 
uh, I don't know if you all know that much about Eastern traditions, but they lean a lot more on collectivism and the importance of the collective than they do the individual. And that is definitely not how we do things here in the West. And I think that's good personally. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, in the, the psychedelic episode, we were kind of talking about how we're all one. Um, and that ideology, I think, I think that people who are, a little bit more naturally left wing, they come to that realization too. And they pervert it into meaning that since we're all one and we should take care of each other, that that means we have to let the government, you know, dictate every aspect of our lives and tax us out of existence. And I don't think that that's true. I think that we can all be one and all need to take care of each other but have that be a voluntary thing. And I think that makes it more meaningful. And I also think it makes it more effective. Uh, if you want to do it, you do it. Okay. Um, you know, basically this just all adds up to Rhett and Link having adopted the new religion, like I said, of state sponsored progressivism. You know, there, this is like leaning towards us being like China, social credit scores. And basically Rhett's saying something to the effect of that. Hey, that's fine with me. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, I, you know, I check off all the boxes that are not going to get me in trouble. Uh, you know, he's knelt to a God that must force its opinion on everyone else. You know, progressivism, progressivism says that police violence against blacks is a serious problem. If you disagree you are a racist, and that is one of the innumerable deadly sins, okay? If you think women shouldn't be pastors, you're a sexist. Another of the innumerable deadly sins, having a very hard time talking. Um, if, you, you know, if you think it's selfless to wear a mask and selfish not to, that's the kind of, that's where Rhett's coming from. You know, the vaccine is selfless. It's good for the collective. All these people saying, I'm going to wait and see what happens. They're putting their individual safety ahead of the safety of the collective. And if that's what you're doing, if you think that wearing a mask or staying home or closing your business is a decision for you and you alone, then you are selfish. And that is another of the innumerable deadly sins. There's way more than seven. Okay. Uh, if you think being gay is wrong, you're a hateful bigot, another deadly sin. Um, you know, I, I just want to come to you saying that I am bearing, I come bearing a different truth. You know, let me put my prophet's hat on for a second. Um, I want you, I want to leave you alone if I don't like you. And I want you to leave me alone if you don't like me. I want to, you know... I want to reform policing in order to make, and I can't talk. I want to reform policing in order to make everyone safer as opposed to drumming up racial tension by exploiting the deaths of human beings that I'm pretending to care about. Uh, I want, you know, I want people to be able to decide how things go in their community. If you have a community and the members of that community believe that there are 
roles specifically for women and roles specifically for men. I want you to be able to enforce those roles. So as long as the, so long as the participation of everyone involved is voluntary, uh, what business is it of mine or anyone else's if some community says that, that women are not allowed to, to be do public speaking? Yeah. I don't want to be involved in that community. Um, but that, that, so I'm not going to, so I'm not going to be involved in that community. I can still get along with those people to a, at least a certain extent. It doesn't need to be war, you know? Um, if you want to make decisions about what is important in your life, I, you know, I don't think that I have better information. You know, I want you making decisions about your health and safety because you understand your circumstances way better than I ever could. Um, I don't want to take food off of your table by forcing you to shut your business when you have customers willing to pay, you know, for your voluntary, pay voluntary for your your goods and services. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that claiming to be interested in the benefit of the collective gives me the right to tell you what risks you're allowed to take. Uh, I mean, and to be completely honest with you, if you tell me that you hate gay people or black people or Jews or Mexicans or women or whoever, I may not want to be friends with you, but as long as you aren't aggressing against those people, I'm not interested in controlling the thoughts that are inside your head because I can't. I want, I mean, as long as you are willing to mind your own business, despite who you dislike, we can be allies to a certain extent, okay? We can be fellow travelers. Um, you know, what if a person believes like I do that they should that people should be able to do whatever they want, but they also believe that homosexuality is harmful in some way. Um, you know, not even some inf inflamed, you know, God hates FA, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I'm not even saying something to that extent, but just, they think that something about homosexual homosexuality might be harmful. Are they allowed to have that opinion? Even though they don't want to regulate anything, they don't want to harm gay people. Are they allowed to think that maybe you're more likely to get AIDS if you're gay? Is that bad? Um, I don't know. Uh, or are they you know, eventually going to be shipped off to the 21st century gulags and gas chambers for wrong think. Uh, I think I I'm worried, you know, I, uh, I try to be optimistic, but I don't know. Um, you know, I want to leave people to associate with anyone they desire to associate with. And I want to give you the power to refuse to associate with anyone you see as unfit, regardless of what you're basing that on. You know, there are, there are definitely white people who would only go to white run businesses. That's for sure. True. Why is that any more of a problem than the call for everyone to be patronizing black owned businesses over this past year? What is the difference? Um, it's voluntary. They're going to a store, they're purchasing things. They're not harming anyone. Uh, I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem for, for black run businesses. I don't see the that's fine. Do, do whatever you want to do as long as you're not harming people. That is, you know, the core part of my philosophy. Um, people all have in-group preference, you know, 
I don't, maybe someday you'll be able to get rid of that, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And it's that in-group preference is allowed for other people, for non-white people. So why, why can't white people have in-group preference? Um, you know, it, it just, it all seems silly to me. It seems like an obvious double standard. And that just goes back to, you know, the othering, the dehumanizing aspect of all of it. Um, the beautiful thing I think about our American culture and the real culture, not what the corporate media pushes, is that America really is diverse and accepting on a huge scale. There are always going to be pockets of supremacists and racists and just nasty people, but largely we all get along. Um, a lot of our problems are exaggerated. And I think that in, in the real world, that becomes obvious. Uh, but that's not what Rhett and the progressive, you know, the priests of the progressive movement want you to think. They need you to believe that we are constantly on the verge of the apocalypse, where Hitler rises from the dead and rules the world with an iron fist for a millennia of millennia. You know, that's uh, the, the constant threat that we're all under to these these progressives uh you know Rhett goes on to talk a little bit about the socialist marxist movement that is out to get them and eradicate christianity and he talks about that like it's a joke uh well he clearly hasn't been paying attention uh he clearly doesn't know any socialist marxists uh they're they're not too shy about telling people how they really feel about christianity um or white people or traditional values people, any of those. Um, one thing, one thing that Rhett does touch on that I think is important and something that churches do well, uh, is this element of community. I think it is important to be, um, you know, we need each other. We need to be around like-minded folk. Uh, I I want everyone to have their own group. I want those groups to work together if they want to, or leave each other alone if that's if that's what's preferable. Um, we we will all be better off in our own groups, regardless of how those groups are sorted, because we will be with people that we care about and who care about us. Um, you know, I, I think that forced integration has never produced good results. And I don't think it's going to start now. Uh, I'm not anti-integration. I'm not a segregationist, but I don't know. I can, maybe I'm kind of a voluntary segregationist and a voluntary integrationist. Uh, I do think that on some level, you know, there's this guy named Hotep Jesus and he talks about the idea that integration is infiltration. I think there's some truth to that. Not going to delve too deep into it, you guys, uh, you guys feel free though. Uh, he was on Thaddeus Russell's podcast. I think that's where I heard him talk about that. Um, you know, and we've talked in this podcast about ways in which collectivism can be good, but this state sponsored progressive collectivism is not the good kind. This is a collectivism that makes, you know, sweeping assumptions for individuals based on the collective and that is not going to work out that you know that individuals 
you know, they have individual things going on. Not everyone is going through the same things all the time. Um, it's not, not that easy to prescribe problems to solutions on a mass level like that. Chris always kind of talks about that, about how you can't really fix a collective. You can't argue with a collective. You can only fix or argue with an individual. Um, so I think that's very true in this. Um, another thing we talked about in the first episode is how religions have true believers and opportunists looking to take advantage. You know, I don't think that Rhett is at the top level of any globalist agenda meetings or anything like that, but I do think that he is being opportunistic in a way. It seems like him and Link are distancing, distancing themselves from ideas um, that their new religious brethren might find distasteful, you know? I don't think... I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I do think that Red is being honest when in the first episode of this, he talked about um, not being able to buy into the faith that he was raised on and why that made him... You know, I, I'm saying I think it made him angry on some level because it made me angry. Um, but I think that the total refusal to see that there are other ways to interpret it, you know, and clinging to this anti-racist, liberal, social agenda, it, I think it's all of that stuff, the separating from the traditional and the embracing of the anti-racist, progressive stuff is motivated by, it's motivated by their success, Okay. Um, and, you know, they're trying to put distance between things that the mob could call them out for eventually. And I hope that they don't learn the hard way that, um, just because you think you're saying all the right stuff doesn't mean that someone somewhere isn't going to find something to bitch about that you said, you know, that's what these people do. So that's basically the gist of this, this whole thing. Um, it went on longer than I thought it was going to. Um, and I definitely feel like I need some practice at this, but that's okay. Um, thank you for listening. If you made it all the way through this, uh, this is our longest podcast so far and it's just me by myself. Um, but you know, we, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, if it makes it any easier for you to listen, we are available on Podbean, but we're also available on Spotify. We're uploading on YouTube now. Um, I believe we're on the Google Podcasts thing, thingamajiggy. Uh, we're on Pandora. We're on TuneIn. Um, we're on quite a few things, okay? And we're on Instagram. That's going to be at Two Tongues Pod. Go follow us there. Um, and just like I said in the last one, tell your friends, you know, it's just, we're, we're just trying to have some interesting conversations, just trying to talk some things out. Uh, and hopefully you all will think it's interesting as well. Thank you very much. Hopefully next time I'll have a theme song.